every generation, there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a postmortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. Um, at the moment, I am uh, making my way back through a rewatch of Angel. We've already gone all the way through Buffy. So, spoiler alert, we we will be talking about all of Buffy, probably. Um, now we're into Angel. Um, I'm, we're a little over halfway through season one of Angel. Uh, we I will be joined by guests every week or more or less it's been a month now but <laughs> every week um guests uh from the worlds of fandom academia you, you know lunatics whatever and we discuss the plots characters and themes of not only the episodes of the week but also uh both series as a whole what that means is there will be spoilers obviously for angel um also for buffy and who knows maybe for anything joss whedon has ever done so just be warned I am joined tonight um, by Hollywood Big Shot, uh, my friend Michael Holland. Welcome back, Michael. Uh, ab- absolutely your friend, Big Shot with an asterisk. <laughs> but, but thank you. <laughs> you. You are you are a Hollywood Big Shot to me. No. Um, I, okay, so I always feel, every time I have you on any podcast I'm doing, I'm always like, what are you doing now? Because it feels like I know you are all you are consistently a post-production supervisor, correct? Correct, sir. Okay. Uh, but you work on so many properties that I just always want to make sure I know where we are in your career. So the listeners can track you and say they knew you then. Well, that's very kind. So, yeah. So, so um, I, I have been a post-production supervisor for a number of years. Um, for a long time, I think when we met, it was while I was staffed at Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, for about the last three years, um, it has been what we call showside, which means I am a, a post-production supervisor for the show specifically. Okay. So I did uh, American Horror Story uh, Season 9, the, 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 the 1984 episode. I did For Life which uh, was Sony for ABC. Uh, and I am currently on the brand new, it has not been released yet, so I can't talk too much about it. Uh, the Lord and Miller, uh, Sony for ABC, I'm sorry, Sony for Apple TV, The After Party, which is a wonderful, it is a funny, thrilling, murder mystery comedy um, uh about an after party. So, so we are at a 15 year high school reunion where, uh, someone gets knocked off and everybody else gets questioned, uh, about it. Oh man. We've all been there. Haven't we? I, I know. I know. It was, <laughs> it was, 
<laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I, I, I can do this. I think that's the most that you've ever told me about the show. I, I, I knew it was Lord Miller. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the most like detail, like the most synopsis. You're absolutely right. I can, I can say that. So it's, it's, it is a, it is a high school reunion Uh and it's a 15 year high school reunion. And our, our, our heroes uh, attend that. And at the after party of that, someone gets bumped off and, you know, it's it's, it's high and Sue. Yeah, it's a little bit clue. It's a little bit murder by death. Excellent. Um, it's, so it, it's it's absolutely a, it's it's the brilliant mind of of Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Of uh, if you don't know them, please look them up yes. because they did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They did Twenty One Jump Street. They did uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. They did Clone High. They Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, and 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 this is this is their new. I, I was lucky to be a part of this. It's a gem. I mean, I I cannot wait. I I think all I really knew about it before, other than just the fact of your involvement, was that it was Lord and Miller. So I I strongly suspected it was a comedy, but yeah. I, I'm pleased to hear what it's about. I'm very excited. Yeah. It, can you? tease when this may perhaps drop um i no but only because we have not heard ourselves yet okay um the the last we we are in we are supposed to wrap deliverables like this september okay but we're, we're still heavily in post right now um and the only thing i heard from apple was we really apple because it's a sony production it's an apple release right um, Apple said we really want to showcase this to the best of, you know, our ability and the best of it deserves. So it's TBD. And and honestly, from everything I've seen, we're just chomping at the bit because it's really good. Do you know an episode count? Eight. Eight, say that. eight episodes. Okay. Uh-huh. Sure. Excellent. Well, I will keep my eyes out for that. I know you'll keep me apprised. Yes, yes, yes. Because I cannot wait for that. Uh all right. Well, that's all fun. Um, let's, so I've I've called you here. The reason I've called you all here today um, is to discuss two episodes of Angel Season 1. We're going to be talking about episodes 116, The Ring, and 117, Eternity. Um, I have no foreknowledge. I have no clue what your feeling on these two episodes are. Um, I know what my feelings about the episodes were going in and they, those feelings might have changed after this rewatch. Let's find out. <laughs> so um, with all of the spoiler warnings and, and all of the pleasantries out of the way, let's go to work. Let's talk about these episodes. Yeah. So first up is uh, episode season one, episode 16, the ring. Uh, it's original air date was February 29th of 2000. So we'll leave here. Uh, it was written by Howard Gordon and directed by Nick Mark. Um, so I will jump to you first. Uh, how do you feel about this episode? Um, I loved it. And I'm so glad that you brought up the date because I actually jotted down because I mean, so we, we were joking off mic, just how busy we both are. And I rewatched these last night, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally in prep for today. 
Um, but I'm so glad that you brought up when it came out because my very first note was gladiator question mark. And it was, it was, was this, was this, you know, in line with gladiator? Like, was this playing off that and whatever? So I was so happy to find out that this came out in February, mm-hmm. as you just said, and gladiator came out in May. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was just before. I didn't remember how close it was. So I was, I was really, cause, because this really, you know, you look back on this and it really felt like, oh, this could have been any TV show, you know, capitalizing on a hit movie. Yeah. And it kind of feels like that. Yeah. I made a lot of notes about like, well, they did this, but then they did this. And well, there's that, like so-and-so is the Juman uh, Hansu character. So-and-so is clearly the, and I was like, oh, this came out before. So I was really a little bit pleased to to find that out. Yeah. Um, that that was my my very first initial reaction of, wow, this was a little bit more prescient than even Gladiator was. Um, to to a I mean a, a strongly similar uh, uh, tone plot theme etc. Yeah. I mean it's also it's also got a little Spartacus in it. Absolutely, of yeah. course. But it's gladiator. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's men fighting in the ring, so it's yeah. either it's either uh, it's either Rocky or uh, Gladiator, right? Oh, absolutely. Those are your options. Uh, that, that said, now now that said, I I will say just really quickly, I really enjoyed re re enjoyed watching this one. Okay. Um, for for a number of of BTS reasons and for just simple, you know. Just starting off from, you know, like you mentioned Howard Gordon. Howard Gordon, by the way, is a great writer yeah. who, who, who did this episode. If you don't know the name, he did What's My Line from Buffy. Right, yeah. He was heavily involved in 24. Yes. And then he was basically the showrunner of the uh, American version of Homeland. Oh, I did not know the. I did not know that one. So this this dude knows how to how to mold TV. See, um, see, I'm glad you brought all that up because my my awareness of Howard Gordon um, was initially the X Files, uh, which yes, which he also did. Yep. Uh, although I should say, so that was my first conscious awareness of Howard Gordon. In hindsight, I've now realized that he and his at the time close partner Alex Gansa, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, were very heavily involved with uh, the '80s television series Beauty and the Beast, which I have an unironic um, <laughs> love for. I am very affectionate about that show. Yep. Um, so j- just learning in hindsight that they were responsible, that he was responsible for a portion of that, uh, makes me have good feelings about him. Um, however, whenever I'm talking about his work in the sort of Whedon verse, yeah. somehow, I don't, I, I don't know where this happened, but, uh, at some point I've managed to, my brain has crossed its wires and I always associate him mistakenly with, um, Oh Lord, um, Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who were also on it, who also did oh, X Files stuff, yeah. and they went on. They've they went on and did other things, but um, closest to my heart was Space Above and Beyond, which was a sadly oh. short-lived 
sci-fi series that they did. Um, anyway, so for some reason, whenever I see, I see Howard Gordon's name, I always think of Space Above and Beyond, which is not correct. <laughs> that is not who he is. Um, anyways, that was all extraneous information nobody needed to know. Um, I am a fan of Howard Gordon. Um, I will say, well, okay, so let's talk about the... So you loved this episode, right? I do, but as long as we're yeah, as long as we're doing the BTS thing, let, let's mention Nick Mark. Okay. Because director of this episode. Yeah. Just because I, I I did this research and I'm uh, I love sharing this kind of stuff. Um, he did conversations with dead people. Well, there you go. Which is uh, uh, sorry of Buffy. Right. Make sure everybody's on the same page. Um, <laughs> it's a, it is ridiculous to me to imagine that there's a world where someone is listening to this podcast called Conversations with Dead People, and then you and say gonna, director Nick Mark is responsible for Conversations with Dead People. I was like, of the yep, right. Zip, 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 zip. <laughs> um, and he also did um, uh, the episode Something Blue. Oh, which I love. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I, I solely underlined that because there is there is more humor. Something Blue is a wonderfully uh, humorous episode. Yes. And when I when I when I reread that and I underlined that underlined that for this episode, I was like, oh, man, there's a lot of funny stuff in this episode that may have been Nick. As much as Howard and Jocelyn come in, right? I was just like, "Oh, oh, that's interesting that he did those episodes." Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that out. I'm, I'm a big fan of whenever I watch something, I always look to who wrote it, who directed it, and likely who edited it. Okay. Now I do not have that information in front of me. I, I have not <laughs> gone. I have not gone that deep into it, but um, it makes sense that you would. Um, do you have that in front of you? Who edited it? Oh, um, no, I don't. But I, I'll tell you why I brought that up was because on the next one, Eternity, Regis Kimball, who directed that one, edited quite a number of Buffy and Angel. Oh. Um, so it, it just made my brain start to go down that rabbit hole. Okay, cool. Um, so I... Okay, so you liked this episode. Did, have you always liked it? Like, were you a fan of it no, before, and on I, this rewatch, you were still a fan, or did your feelings no, change? I, I, I remembered it not as well as I probably should have. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've watched Angel all the way through twice. Okay, and then, and then you just kind of pick episodes and you watch them for fun, right? So I remembered liking this one. I did not remember this episode. To be to be totally a hundred percent honest, I did not remember this was the episode that Angel meets Lila. Okay, see that there were only two things about this episode that I have also watched Angel all the way through, at least twice, probably probably more. But um, my only solid memories of this episode were it's the one where Lila Morgan is introduced. I, I remembered that because Lila goes on to become in some respects one of my favorite characters on the show love her yes she's amazing uh stephanie romanoff um this was her i believe her first no not her first acting gig her first perhaps scripted show gig 
I'm not sure. She was a model before, and I think she was on a show about models. I don't know if that was a scripted work or not. Anyways, uh, Stephanie Romanoff is Lila Morgan. Um, it, it, she's she's great here, but she she gets even greater as the show goes on. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I remembered. She's set, she set up so well here. Yeah. I mean, she is Lila in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, and you can tell that she's. Yes, I agree with you, but you can also you get the sense that uh, she is at a certain position within the firm because yep. she works. She's an attorney. She's an associate working for Wolfram and Hart. And over the course of her arc on this series going forward, I mean, you watch her position within the firm shift. So. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anyways, the only other thing I remembered is, is it was the, it's the, uh, the gladiator episode. And that over the years, I don't remember if this was a controversy at the time, but I know over the years, a lot of people have uh, come down on this episode for, the fact that the end of the episode uh, is all about them like freeing these demons that were imprisoned and forced to fight for their lives. And they, they free them and let them go. And the episode ends on sort of a little giggle, a little joke about, yes, we've, we've freed all of these people, all of these prisoners, they're free. And Cordelia's like, well, Actually, didn't we just free a bunch of demons? And the only... I think perhaps since I've always had this uh, <laughs> this um, live and let live attitude or whatever, I, I'm very defensive about the concept that demons are just evil. I have always have been from even the beginning of Buffy. Uh, and so perhaps on all of my previous watches, I didn't feel like that was a big deal the only on-screen hint that the show gives us to sort of even justify that joke at the end is as we watch some of them wander off into the streets, a couple of them turn back and have this very comedic, sinister villain giggle or whatever to let sure. you know that, yeah, some of these, some of these guys are bad people that you just let out. Anyways, the point being, I know a lot of people that actually actively dislike this episode because of that because what the heroes did was they went and they freed a bunch of serial killers or whatever yeah uh it's it's interesting because i made that note uh myself that oh hey they did this um but i also made the note of one one thing that they do very early on in this series angel as a series is established that demons are part of the everyday world. Right. And, and I mean that in a way that, that Buffy never, never really did that. I mean, Buffy, Buffy, Buffy had the demon, Buffy had the demon bar. Um, yeah. But whose Buffy, name Buffy I can't always, remember. No, you're right. But Buffy always set up the world of like 95, Five percent of the world does not know that this exists. Right. And what I what I always found very interesting about Angel, and I and I made a note about this somewhere. Um, cements the acceptance of demons in L.A. Also separating from Buffy. Mm-hmm. So even even the idea that that there was this Fight Club, whatever you want to call it, uh, was was it 
what I liked about the idea of this was the tone of of our world was very different. Of there was a world where people accepted, were already accepting. It wasn't a surprise, and then they accepted. It was, hey, this was part of everyday life mm-hmm. that demons existed and whatever. So sorry, I'm I'm roundabouting, but because it was two different notes, but I, I I totally agree with what you're saying, and I think it's it's just it's compounding on separating themselves from Buffy a little bit because this is still season one right. of Angel. It's late, it's sixteen, right? Sixteen, seventeen. It's it. This is sixteen, yeah. So so, but it's still season one of of, of them saying this is a different world, and it, it 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 leans into the noir and it leans into the detective story and it leans into hey, this is the LA or the city that we kind of heard about in Buffy or we kind of heard about as a bigger deal. And eventually in Buffy, we hear that there's like a Hellmouth in Chicago or whatever. Yeah. But there, but there is a different world than the, than the world that we were accustomed to. We as the audience were accustomed to in Buffy. Right. So I think it's important to say, you know, and there's this wonderful exchange and it's really good writing by the way, from Howard Gordon of when, when Cordelia and Wesley are, are trying to break, I feel like they just, they're trying to break into the ring or they've just broken out. And Cordelia says something like, we got to call the police. And Wesley says, by some miracle, they're not already involved in this. Bad guys are going to try and kill the evidence. And Cordelia says, kill the fighters. We have to get to Angel. And Wesley says, out of the wrist cuffs. And there's, there's this, like, I'm not kidding. It's like 15 seconds of dialogue yeah. that does a tremendous amount of world building. And I only jump to that because it's kind of part and parcel to what we're talking about right now, which is in that they're saying, hey, this is a different world. The police are not our friends in this world. The demons are well known mm-hmm. and being dealt with. And still, we, you, me, Wesley, or Cordelia, you know, you, me, Wesley, we have to fight for our Robin Hood tribe of friends. Mm-hmm. And we have to, and it's, it's like a 15 second, it's really well done, talking about Howard Gordon. Yeah. It's, it's so fast and so like world rule building of here's what's happening, demons are real. The police don't give a shit or, or they're on the take. We have to fight for our own self and, and, and make this happen. And I remember watching that just last night and I went, oh my God, you just distilled this kind of world building and these kind of rules, which are so important to plot and character and theme and tone and meter and all that kind of shit that we all rely on when we're watching a, uh, a show like this that that relies on drama, melodrama, horror, fantasy, comedy, and blending all of them so well that they do, uh, I was like, oh my God, you just distilled rules and tone and world and into us. And we went, oh, okay, I understand why we're supposed, we, the audience, we're supposed to uh, believe this deal with this and then be worried about what's left. Yeah. I didn't, um, 
oftentimes when I'm taking notes on these episodes to discuss, um, a large portion of my notes turn out to be my favorite quotes. And I easily, I stopped myself this time because there are so many great lines of dialogue, particularly between Wesley and Cordelia. They have a lot of, the two of them have a lot of exchanges in this episode since Angel is removed from them for the time being. Um, so I pulled back on that. So I don't have a lot of the quotes in front of me, but I, I will say I completely agree with you. Even if, you know, as a, listeners at home, even if you are not necessarily a fan of the plot of this episode, um, it is incredibly well written uh, in terms of character in yeah. dialogue and character development. Um, and as you say, uh, distilling these very important world building, building elements into um, what seem like just casual conversation and obviously are very tightly crafted. Um, there's also the fact that these two episodes we're talking about tonight, um, this one and then the next one, Eternity, kind of mark, I think that they are sort of the official demarcation line. Like this is basically when the show much more firmly decides what it's going to be. Up till now, it has been primarily Monster of the Week. And there will still be some Monster of the Week episodes in future seasons. They don't totally get rid of that. But these two episodes tonight are kind of the end of that era of angel and going forward, particularly the two episodes I'm going to talk about next time, uh, five by five and, uh, sanctuary really mark the beginning of when the show focuses on much more on the characters, like on our heroes and what's going on with them and their interpersonal relationships and the, whatever monster of the week element comes in is really is really just there to serve our characters' stories and not vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And also uh, you were talking about uh, Wesley and Cordelia, you know, discussing how the, the cops in this situation are not our friends. This is also the episode where um, like Wesley calls, it happens off screen, but Wesley calls um, Kate because yeah. she's been their contact in the LA police force up till now. Uh, and he doesn't really know what's going on with Kate and angel. And so he comments on what a sort of cold reception he got and that she really doesn't seem to care that angels in trouble. So, yeah. so yeah, literally the cops are not their friends on this, in this story. Yeah. Well, which I think is, which is, you have to be able to say, because look, when 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 you're when you're crafting anything like this, you 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 have to acknowledge that there's a higher power, mm-hmm. and by that I mean in a city, in a in a government, in a whatever world you're working in, you have to go. Well, why wouldn't the cops do something? Or how how does so and so not know about this? And I think they did that so well with the principal in Buffy mm-hmm. and the mayor in Buffy. And, like they they have always acknowledged why our heroes are dealing with this when somebody else one would expect they should be right you know they're not and and you know tv is so fast and it's so distilled that you have to i feel uh like you have to at least acknowledge some of these rules to say this is the world we work in so therefore, these are the w- rules we're breaking. Mm-hmm. 
So that's fair, you know. But you have to still say, hey, rem remember, here's where we are. Or, hey, remember, here's the rules we, we live by. Here's the rules we're breaking. I love the moment in, in this episode where you see angels speak different languages. Right. One, one has to appreciate how distilled that is because it shows time. It shows he's well-read. It shows he has, has lived a long time, obviously. But it shows he's lived in different places. It shows he appreciated the different places enough to learn the language. Like, there's a 10-second scene where he says three different lines in three different languages where you go, you need to – not you, Paul. <laughs> Sorry. You need to understand how, how, how wonderful those 10 seconds are to tell you something about Angel. And, and that's the kind of thing that I that that I love being to, to, to being on here and talk to you about because you get it and and I, I want to make sure that everybody gets little moments like that where they go, oh, they're telling us twenty five things in mm -hmm. these ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this episode does that a lot. Yeah. And yeah. No, I agree. It's impressive. Um, I forgot to mention there was something about Lila that I wanted to mention. I wanted to point out and I should have brought it up when we were first talking about her, but she, in this episode, her very first appearance, she essentially makes an offer to angel that he turns down obviously, yeah. but essentially it is the same offer that is going to come back at the end of season four and dominate yeah. all of season five. So, you yes. know, this is a spoiler podcast. We're going to talk about the whole series, but I'll just, I'll be kind of vague here. And I'll just say that season no, five, that's a beautiful note. season five takes a yeah. dramatic shift. Um, and what Lila offered him here is a very early hint at what's to come. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and there was that there was that part of me that because you know we, we vaguely talked about this with Wendy Gladiator come out. This kind of follows a Gladiator plot. So there was that there was the beautiful moment right in the middle where uh, it may even be an act break. I think we come back from an act. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm remembering that incorrectly, but anyway, Lila basically buys him out of it yeah. and puts him free. Yeah. And there was that part of me, even last night watching it, where I went, oh, that's cool as a surprise because you are kind of following this typical Spartacus gladiator plot. And I was like, oh, my God, he's now out of it. And I went, is that just character stuff for Lila? Is that character stuff for Angel? Is it just character stuff to set him up so that he can walk back into... Which, which is what happens. Right. Yeah. He walks back into the, the ring to to cement himself with the other people. But to your point with Lila, I think it's it's really good to, and I don't know that they meant this then, but looking hindsight's twenty twenty. I think it's really good to give her that moment of I'm willing to negotiate with you, Angel. Right. And especially us knowing what's to come this negotiation always being on the table from square one. 
Yeah. But I, I didn't appreciate that moment as much as I did in this rewatch. Yeah, I can't. Um, I cannot remember um, how much of this is directly dealt with in future episodes and seasons, but my read on it right here is that um, that was Lila's initiative that she wasn't necessarily following orders. Like she, like the senior partners didn't say, Hey, make him this offer and then set him free. Um, I feel like that was maybe her initiative. Um, And also says who she is. Right. Um, And I've seen some people complain there about, you know, in future episodes, Wolfram. Well, as a matter of fact, in the very, in five by five, the very next set of episodes that I will be talking about all of a sudden Wolfram and Hart is hiring assassins to try and kill Angel when here in the ring, they set him free. I've always interpreted that. And I feel like this plays out over the course of the series um, that there is at least one faction. There is one ideology with some people in Wolfram and Hart that it'll be much more beneficial to them whether it's metaphorically or metaphysically (laughs) uh, to have him willingly join them instead of just either killing him or like locking him in a room and forcing him to work for them or whatever. And so this was an early attempt by Lila and or Wolfram and Hart to make him choose them. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, and I, and I think, I think, if I were sitting in a writer's room and somebody asked that question, I say, you have to do that with your lead character. It can't just cause, cause the common sense of it is this person's a, uh, adversary, kill them. Mm-hmm. Right. right. <laughs> so if he's your lead, if he's your, your Clint Eastwood, your Charles Bronson, your whatever you go, it's 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 part and parcel to what I call the Superman de facto, which is how do you have somebody who is that powerful still be, you know, hurtable? Mm-hmm. You know, so this happens in writers' rooms. This happens when you go, well, how do I say? How do we make Angel, you know, the key to the? Uh, the, the 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 savior of Armageddon, but still have him be part and parcel to uh, individual episodes. And how do you how do you weigh that? And how do you do that? So that 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 is a that is a story point that I think every every show goes through and everybody goes through. I think they did it fairly really well with Angel. Yeah, you know, all the way through. Sorry, spoiler, but. You know, my my one of my favorite moments. If you, if you were to say, "What's your top five moments of Angel?" One of them is still "Let's get to work." Yes, which is the like, thing I've quoted in every episode of this podcast, and I, I assume most, but probably not all, of my listeners know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah, like that is that is a beaut- that that almost you know, in Jeffrey Bell, who, who I know, uh, uh, co-wrote that. He, I think he scripted it. He and Joss storied it. Okay. Or, sorry for those that don't know, this is the series. Yes. Finale. Yeah. Um, and I think it defines Angel. Absolutely. Way more than Buffy. You know? Yeah. If uh, regular listeners and certainly my friends who are listening absolutely should know this about me, but 
perhaps a surprise to some others. I have long maintained that the series finale, not Fade Away, the series finale of Angel is the best like series finale of perhaps any television show. Like it is, yeah. it, it balances uh, giving you a satisfying conclusion with leaving plenty of stuff unanswered and unresolved. Like it is, it's so satisfying. It is, is viscerally satisfying to me. Totally agree. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, and, and taking that, let's say we take that all the way back to season one. And we're not even to the season finale, right? Which is which is wonderful. Which Shanshu, is great. Shanshu is a, is a great episode, mm-hmm. but but we're seeing stuff in here. You know, we're seeing stuff in here of Cordelia still. I, I, I I'm sorry, I forget if it's in Ring or Eternity, but she fakes the 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 it's vision. A, it's an eternity. It's an eternity. It's eternity. Yeah. Okay, but like there there's like wonderful little setup in these episodes. Um, of 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 what is and what's to come. Angel saying, "I am not going to kill anybody." Right. And I love in this episode that you're like, "Well, we are totally expecting the moment to come that comes at the end of this episode, which is where he chooses not to kill somebody." You're totally expecting the the, the moment where he says, "Hey guys, we need to work together to to best these people." I mean, it's literally what's going to happen in four months with the movie Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, but but what they do in this episode is 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 Angel kills the guy with the knife right in the middle of the episode. So there are these moments of, hey, we are going to tell you what's going to happen with this. We're going to fulfill you with everything that you want to happen, but we're going to to subterfuge that with. With these little moments of surprise and these little moments of, of humanity, pardon the pun with Angel, but these little moments of like what's what really happening, and it happens with all. This is such a well written episode, yeah. In terms of distilling the whole season and therefore the whole series, huh? I, that that's what that was my big takeaway from this. And that happens with Cordelia coming, coming, coming off with like she comes up with the horsehair, right? You know, uh, Wesley gets that turn of he's like all of a sudden a badass. In I, the, in I the wanted, movie. I wanted to talk about that. I really wanted to talk about right? that because this continues. I think it was in She. Everybody gets their little moment. I can't, I can't. It was in one of the most recent episodes. It might have been She. Well, that was a very comedic episode for us. Anyways, one of the episodes very recently gave us. Oh, it was, uh, it was, um, I've got you under my skin with the, the possessed child. Uh, and there was a brief hint at some underlying darkness to Wesley. And I commented on it then. And here is another example of, I, I mean, I guess it hints at a little bit of darkness, but mostly it just further develops the character and shows that he is more than just the bumbling buffoon. Yes. Um, and he actually does have some competency and and yeah, a little bit of darkness. He's clearly willing to grab that crossbow bolt that's stuck in the guy's hand and like twist it around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, Wesley Wyndham Price is a delight every moment that he's on screen. So he's he's wonderful, and I totally agree with you. There there's a little bit of a a weird setup to that where he does the crossbow gun thing. Uh huh. 
which I was like, okay, that's kind of weirdly shot, weirdly edited, whatever. It's fine. I, I, I do like it. But then, then there's the moment where he goes in and he twists the nail mm-hmm. in the guy's hand. And I went, oh, that's going to linger. Yeah. They're going to forget about the, the joke about the crossbow and the gun, but they're going to remember the hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's my Wesley. I love him in all of yeah. his in yeah. all of his broken glory. Yes, isn't there a Captain America? Speaking of, there is geeky, wonderful. God bless us all, MCU fans. There's a Captain America reference. There is. There absolutely is. I mean, we've gotten that on Buffy. People referred to Riley as Captain America at least once. I think Xander probably called him Captain America, and in this one, um, one of the one of the two brothers. Um, the actor is Scott William Winters, and I think he's been in a million different things, and he's always plays an asshole. But the thing that I remember him most, I had actually forgotten he was in this. The thing I remember him from is, uh, uh, oh Lord, the Robin Williams movie, um, Goodwill Hunting. Oh right, the guy that plays Jack. Yeah, he's he's the yeah. he's the how do you like them apples scene guy. Anyways. Yeah, he refers to Angel as Captain. What about Captain America? Let's put him in the ring. Oh, you know what? One thing I I do want to mention because I don't, and I and I send this out to you and all the fans because I don't know that I'm accurate. Okay. But there is an. I'll set this up by saying there is a possibility that Jane Espenson is in this episode. Ooh, I'm unaware. And I, I, I want all of our fans to look at the moment when Cordelia and Wesley are watching the fight with Angel. Uh-huh. They're up in the grandstand. And it's right between when Cordelia says, we have to do something, and Wesley says, we will. It's kind of a pan across. Can anybody verify, is that Jane Espenson right between them? Okay. Uh, because it, it looks just like her. Wow. And I love her so much that I want it to be. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope it is. I mean, Jane Espenson should be in every episode. I agree. I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. Okay, listeners. I uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that at the moment. But um, if any of you already have that answer, or if you go back and rewatch and figure it out, conswithdead at gmail.com. Please write in and let us know. I would love that to be true. I hope it's true. Yeah, it, it looks just like her, and, and it, it was admittedly something I thought of last night. But I was like, "Oh, please! I hope it's her." <laughs> um, it's worth pointing out before we move on to the next episode. It's worth pointing out we've already praised um, Stephanie Romanoff as Lila Morgan. Obviously, I would, I have been, and will for always and ever be praising Alexis Denisoff as Wesley Wyndham Price. Um, this is the first episode. I mean, obviously it's Lila's first episode, but in this episode, even though they never share screen time, Lila and Wesley were mere feet apart from each other. Yes. Which when you re- when, when, you know, diehard fans remember where the, their story is going, <laughs> it's just interesting to note that, um, they were that close. Absolutely. They may have locked eyes for a moment. I don't know. Anyways. Um, okay. Anything else on this one or you want to move on to the next one? No, I, 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 
gosh, I hope. Fingers crossed. We're good. I don't remember if we said this is Howard Gordon's final writing credit. Oh, I think you said something about he moves on, but yeah, yeah just to make it clear, this was his final angel episode. It could be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I think from here, maybe he went on to 24. Is that what he went to? Oh, next? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And to your point, he'd already done X files. I mean, like, so he wasn't, this wasn't his you know, birthday cake. Right. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to uh, episode 117, Eternity, original air date April 4th, 2000, uh, written by Tracy Stern and directed by Regis Kimball, as you've already mentioned, who apparently is a big time editor on both shows. Um, yeah. And, and interestingly, I think his only other um, direction, and I only mention it, is because it's Earshot, which oh. is. The episode that wow. got that got kind of culled out and pushed after Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. And and therefore, I don't. Know, I'm sorry if I don't remember this correctly. If it ever aired or it only played on DVD. I feel like I should know this, and it, we probably talked about it on the podcast when we discussed that episode, but I do not remember right now. Yeah. I, I know. It, I know that it airs now, like on on rebroadcasts i know they include it but and 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 p.s it's really good it is a really good episode what uh earshot earshot yeah yeah yeah. it's i mean i i absolutely respect that that decision but it's it's a very good episode and i think this is a really good episode this so i expected i i was actually surprised at how um how kind you were like how effusive you were about uh, the ring because I kind of expected this to be your episode <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, if I'm just stereotyping you because this is a Hollywood episode but uh, I, yeah. I expect that you've got it, some it stuff to say have, it does have one of my favorite lines for a Hollywood episode which is there are seasons in LA <laughs> that's right yeah which, which I went absolutely wrote down underlined um, <laughs> but but yeah um so I was just thinking about, I was looking at um, sorry so I'm I'm sorry you're fine I'm I'm, I'm um, pausing your infusion but Regis Kimball also cut the Angel pilot oh so I just I just feel like he deserves a shout out because okay. he he he's been there from the beginning and had a, a a decent hand in what we saw there. Very cool. Well, now I'm. Oh, he does not have a. He doesn't have a Wikipedia presence. I'd have to go to IMDb. But you said he does. He does not direct another episode after this. No, I think. No, I. I think he only directed this and Earshot, Earshot. but okay. he cut a lot of Buffy, mm-hmm. and and also cut Sidia. Okay. The, the the angel. Sorry, I, I believe it's the pilot. It's it, certainly the first episode. It, it is the pilot. I mean, there was. Um, no, maybe there wasn't an unaired. There was an unaired Buffy pilot. I think there I, was. I don't know if there was an unaired angel. There was a. There was a promo, like an unaired demo reel or whatever produced before city of and some of the footage in the opening credits comes from that i know that right 
anyways. Okay, so yeah, we refer to this as the Hollywood episode. This is the one where uh, there's a, uh, I was about to say a has-been actress, but let's just say a, a Hollywood, a young actress who is beginning to age out of her demographic, um, which, which, which is weird because she's 20-something. She's supposed to be like 20-something. Yeah, it's nuts. And she's only been off the show for like two years. Yeah, right? Like, it's harsh. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't blame her for being pissed off. <laughs> uh, and so Angel becomes entangled with her. Uh, he like saves her life from which, which so here's a question I have. Um, we find out that the, the sort of gimmick of the episode or, or whatever, the MacGuffin of the episode are the attempts on her life on this actress's life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the crazy stalkers and, and murder attempts or whatever. And the first one is uh, she's coming out of a premiere and some, uh, or a, an event and a car tries to run her down and angel barely pushes her out of the way before she gets run over. Yeah. So we find out that all of that is, uh, is being paid for by her agent. He's her agent, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that he has no, or so he claims, he claims that he has no intention of actually hurting her. He's just trying to drum up this, this drama to keep her in the tabloids, to keep, her name on people's lips or whatever. Um, my question would be, and, and I mean, later on there's a, a shooter shows up and it turns out he's shooting blanks. But my question is, if that's true, if her, if her agent is just trying to create these fake uh, attempts on her life, um, what was his plan? If angel hadn't been there to save her, because that guy was inches away from plowing into her and she only survived. And I want to comment when, when angel pushes her out of the way, I'm surprised she survived that. Yeah. That was a solid push from a superhuman, a super strong vampire that sent her flying into another car. She could have been dead from that too, but she certainly would have been dead if that car had hit her or severely injured if that car had hit her. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally agree. And it, it's part and parcel to one note I had, which was um, that I really liked that she very quickly, you know, figures out that it's him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, on her own, on her own. That was that's on great. On her own, which I think is is great. And I, I I had a note. I think that Wesley and Cordelia figure out that it's him on their own as well yeah that's right um and, and individually and, individually i think because wesley yeah. wesley is like i got the police report here um it's it's another one of those funny moments where he's like uh you know i got the ballistics results back and i'm afraid or, and i can't i hate to tell you this but they were and then angel says they were blanks and wesley's like no, no, they were blanks. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> he, yeah. he wanted to be the one to drop that. And, uh, and then of course, Cordy has that whole thing where she realizes that she just, uh, or wait, no, she's talking about, um, she's talking about Rebecca. Yeah. But the actress. What, what, I, what I sort of remembered from it was I was really impressed that, that, um, actress figures it out. Wesley and Cordy figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of it was that was not 
the end of the episode. It was not about really who was doing it. Right. That was for us, the audience. It was this MacGuffin of, oh, that's not what our story is about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I thought they played that really well. I agree. I agree. Um, I want to jump back to the very beginning of the episode because we didn't even mention the whole theater, see, the cold open uh, with Wesley and Angel in the theater watching Cordelia's terrible performance. Sure. That was just a beautiful uh, comedy moment. Um, I particularly loved Wesley's line of, we might try shouting fire. It's not technically a crowded theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just love that. No, and it's 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 great. You know, it's funny because I, I think I, I made a note of, you know, you have this fake open, which which likely, you know, uh, probably works better in a script because, you know, you don't know what's happening. When you watch it, you go, oh, we're probably being led into a twist. But I love those moments. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of twist moment. Yeah. And what particularly and Sorry, to your point, because you just mentioned it, because we had jumped to the end. This is another great one. This one particularly works because we're set up for the end payoff. In that we're we're watching Wesley and Angel be made fun of. I'm sorry, they're making fun of Cordelia for her acting choice. And yet at the very end... We're now looking at Wesley and Cordelia, looking at Angel for his going through something else and them having to play off of that. Mm-hmm. So, Plus, obviously, Cordelia does a much better job acting in that final oh, yeah. moment when, when she needs oh, to. No. Yeah. That's the, that's, there's, there is literally a moment where she, I, I think she says, and the Oscar goes to. Goes to, too, yes. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is great. So you get this. You know, I'm I'm always a big fan of these these moments in plot that feel like their own separate moment, their own separate joke, their own separate scare, their own separate something where we the audience watch them and we go, Hey, that was really funny, or that was really scary, or that was really whatever. And then you kind of you're supposed to kind of forget about it. Right. And we do. And then we go through this whole episode and they don't really play off the, the acting moment at the beginning until the very end yeah. when she has to do that. And she does it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're played off of line and we're played off of, you know, there's these great little yeah. things where you go, Oh, you're now bookending. And that's really well done. And, and and I will say, and I'm and I'm sorry to badmouth anybody or or pedestal anybody, but it is very difficult. And I and I give charisma a, a, a props here. It is very difficult to act badly, and then act in the same episode, and to show that range. And I think she does it really well. Yeah. No, I. I, I... It's cliche, I've, but it happens. Yeah, I have never been an actor. Um, I harbor this very, very small, deeply repressed fantasy of someday giving a sh- giving it a shot. It'll never happen. But um, I've never been an actor, 
so I just have anecdotes and my own observations to go on. But there is the truism that comedy is hard. Um, yes. And I, I also just sort of take it as a given that for someone who is legitimately a good actor, for someone who knows how to act, pretending to not know how to act has got to be challenging. It is. It's, it's phenomenally harder than people think. Yeah. So you want to give you want to give charisma shit about acting, and you watch her do what she does in this episode. I said the same thing. I did like a blog post about um, Dollhouse, and I'm like, you don't know how difficult it is for her to go through all those different personalities and then still play Echo. Right. Yeah. Like, is it Meryl Streep? <laughs> you, you you choose. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're literally watching somebody do this and do I emotional do I emotionally buy it? Yes. Yeah. Like it's 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 the same thing here. I think charisma does really, really well. You know, and, and to your point about watching Wesley's arc, you know, do I think we we watch as uh sorry, Wesley go from who he was in Buffy to who we know he is in a, in Angel? Yes. Do I think it works? Yes. Do I buy it? Yes. You know, if I were to have watched that in a feature, would it have worked as well? Maybe not. But the fact that we're given that in a, in a, in a, in a Christ at that point, five year timeline. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and in that course, we, the audience watching it happen in real time, but watching it happening in story time. Yes. And and Alexis was asked to do a lot in that time. Does he hit it out of the park? Yes, I think he does. So, yeah, let's talk about Charisma and Alexis and uh, Cordy and Wesley, because I think um, they are both extraordinary actors. Um, I don't know. I apologize. I don't know what Charisma's acting background is. Like, I don't know. Well, I, I don't where she was educated or what. Um, so Charisma's acting uh, challenge for her her arc through Buffy and through Angel, although it gets muddled at the end, but we'll get there. Um, is to she has to play this certain uh, vapid, not really bubble headed, but anyway, she she has a particular dynamic that she's trying to get across. Um, which gradually becomes likable. It starts off as very not likable, but it gradually becomes likable. And then you get episodes like this where she, she has to hit the, the two poles. She has to be a really terrible stage actress and not know what the hell she's doing. And then she has to portray someone who is very, very good at acting when they need to. Wesley, uh, Alexis, he has to play a pratfall buffoon. He has to play someone who you know, can trip over coffee beans and still one of my favorite comedic moments in season one, um, or fall out of a car. Yeah. But then his real, until we get to dark Wesley, like the yep. real, the real acting that we see him do are the, one of my favorite types of acting are the, the really subtle understated things like a facial expression or body language or the way he, like in this episode, there's the scene where 
he's, he's talking to Cordy and says something like, you really think he would achieve perfect happiness with an actress? And Cordy's yeah. like, wait, what are you saying? <laughs> and Wesley mumbles for a minute. He's like, uh, 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 I meant TV actress. And just the way he delivers that line. And I've watched it. I rewound it and watched it twice. And the way his face, like he realizes what he's trying to say. And he lifts that coffee cup into frame. I don't know. That's a ridiculously, it's one of the tiny little, almost unnoticeable moments that I often fixate on that I look to and call, I say that's acting. Yes. So that's the kind of stuff that not every actor can do. And Alexis is very good at it. (sighs) Anyways, about the episode itself. So I know some people think it's a little heavy handed, but I actually quite like the parallels going on being drawn in this episode between like immortal monsters, vampires, ageless vampires, um, and Hollywood actors who are aging out of their roles, yet they still have to watch their younger selves live agelessly on television or on film. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's kind of the hook of the episode. Sadly, very real. Yeah. Um, And like we already said, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous and chilling. Uh, It's ridiculous, but I think chillingly accurate that she's only 20 something. Yeah. We don't get to know what her actual age is, but she's under 30 and she is already in this place where she is, she feels aged out. She feels, uh, you know, left behind or whatever. So maybe it's a cliche. Maybe there's, I I think maybe forever night, which is another show that the same actress was in. Um, I think it probably had something to do with this. I feel like vampire fiction has dealt with this notion before, but um, I like the way it was handled in this episode and the actress um, Tamara Gorski is the actress's name. Um, Kudos to her. She's for, great for the way yeah. she plays it. And you get this really wonderful moment of uh, Angel not knowing who she is as an actress, mm-hmm. and then she knowing, and that and that does not define their relationship. And then her knowing he's a vampire, and that not defining their relationship. Mm-hmm. That's a very sort of key thing in this episode. I I really loved her performance in that scene when she is first, I mean, she's already figured it out because she's seen the mirror and he was not reflected in the mirror. But then when she gets to talk to him afterwards and she, she's putting it all together and she first says you're a vampire, her whole delivery in that scene and and the way she delivers her dialogue about, um, I didn't write any of this dialogue down. Shame on me. But, uh, Something about, you know, do you drink blood? Uh, he says, not human. You're not a killer. I gave that up. Um, and then she says, if I touch you, will you be cold? And she puts her hand on his cheek and she's like, I felt colder. Yeah. I, I don't know. Just her delivery and all of that was very moving to me. Yeah, that's right. She's, she's wonderful in this episode. And she's wonderful. Um, I she says she says something like you looked in the mirror and all you saw was yourself Am he, I remembering? he that? says that or he says that he says like that, that. Yeah. like 
there's this there's this wonderful thing of like she's an actress superstar he's this demonic you know and and, and, and they 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 either don't know slash understand who each other is i i i think we talked about <laughs> i think we talked about this because tracer tracy stern wrote bachelor party oh, which is the last one you and i what, talked about which may, may be the last one that i was on yeah and we were like oh we should talk about eternity because she wrote that one as well and there is this there she has she tracy stern has this wonderful adeptness to to being able to mirror depth to comedy you know, melodrama mm-hmm. to being able to say I'm gonna to to be able to write uh, Buffy slash Angel and still be able to give you something that's a little bit BTS underneath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's great. Does she write? <laughs> I I let's. Does she write anything else after this? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, nothing but comes I mean, up immediately. I think mean, but... she 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 got into producing. Okay. <laughs> um. So let's. Uh... So one, so one thing, sorry, before I forget. Okay. So we are to believe, right, that Angel is bad here, right? Okay, that's where, yeah, that's what we need to get to, yeah. He, he vaguely becomes Angelus, or, or I shouldn't say vaguely, he, he becomes Angelus, right? Yeah. Because I think, I think for us big fans watching, having come through Buffy and Angel, we, we, perhaps assume that he's faking or he's he's just being the vampire because there's that wonderful moment where you go oh he's saying hey superstar you need to understand what it's like to be a vampire i'm going to scare the hell out of you and then there's the double twist of oh my god he's really angelus Mm. here yeah so so which i love I think that's worth being said. But then there's that part of me that's like, why didn't Spike ever try and drug his way into <laughs> Angelus? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess Spike's Spike has a history of coming up with plans and then they never work. I don't know. Maybe it crossed yeah, his I mind. He was like, it'll never work. I, w- I was like, oh, is there, is there really a reason that Angelus could be born out of fake happiness. I mean, then, then again, trying that all the time. (laughs) Then again, Spike doesn't want Angelus around. True. But anybody. Yeah. 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 Anybody. Well, so I was like, Oh man, he can be, he can be brought forth. So so obviously, (laughs) obviously we need to talk about the Angelus of it all, but let's start with, the metaphysics of drug induced perfect, perfect happiness, because they, they try to address it. They have Wesley try and hand wave it in the episode. And just to, to jump to the end here, I will say I'm fine with the drug induced happiness. Like I feel like in my head it works, but let's talk through this. Um, Because, you know, people who want to nitpick the show would say, if that's really Angelus, that means Angel has lost his soul. And so why does he just turn into Angel again when the drug wears off? Um, 
And like I said, they have Wesley try and say, well, you know, it's an artificial happiness or whatever. So what I think was going on here is he didn't, obviously he didn't lose his soul, but his soul was deadened enough, was, was numbed enough that Angelus could bubble to the surface a little bit. Like, I don't even think we got full blooded, no pun intended, Angelus. We got, we got, um, mostly angels. Um, and I, that rubs some people the wrong way. How do you feel about it? Well, it was, it was indeed the, the, the surprise of this episode because having, having seen this whenever it was the last time I saw it five, 10 years ago, I remember really, really liking it because I thought, Oh, here's a, here's an in of, somebody who doesn't know anything about vampires, but probably knows they exist and, and wants to be a part of that world. And she's going to lean into it. And obviously I love the whole LA Hollywood lean into. So that's what I remembered. I was like, Oh, this, this was a really good take. And I, I, and I had vaguely remembered the whole manager take being um, sort of second based. I remember that I had remembered that being, Oh, what we think is going to be the big bad really isn't. And it was turned into this whole other story. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I and then I rewatched it and I went, oh, the thing that surprised me was why has nobody ever tried to drug Angelus into into happiness? Why have they not tried to get him into being evil? Frankly, right. Even even if at the end of I think it's season two, Buffy. Yeah. When we when we see him go, I was like, oh, wouldn't anybody, if we're to believe of of the any higher power, any you know, Wolfman Heart, anybody, if if you get into this, wouldn't they have been like, just give him a Mickey fit. <laughs> Right. Try it. Just roofie just him and see it. what happens. Yeah, just try it. Yeah. God, if we can get him on our side, please try it. Buy, buy him um, a bunch of martinis. Yeah. Um. So that was sort of the surprise of this app for me. Um. And 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 I think they did it really well because it was so focused in this sort of Bela Lugosi, Dracula kind of romantic version from her perspective mm. version of of a vampire story a frank and langella then, frank langella version frank langella, is, frank langella was the only performance i believed i believe correct <laughs> i also love there's an ernest borgnine reference in this episode. <laughs> that's right yeah i hear he's a real sensitive lover or whatever he yeah. says yeah which is fantastic um anyway um i i, I what, what I what I love about this episode, if, if you just distill it, is you get the Hollywood aspect, you get a vampire aspect, you get what turns into this romanticized version versus Angelus, not Angel, but you get this like real vampire in our world mm-hmm. um, version that that satisfies i mean she's she's legitimately scared at the end of this episode yeah so another another thing that i think shows that this is 
not the typical uh, Angelus is broken free thing is that it's not um, like every other time we've seen Angela, we've seen that change happen, which I think has probably only been a couple of times where we've watched him shift from Angel to now he's Angelus. It's always like a f- switch being flipped. Yeah. And this time under the influence of these drugs, he gradually faded into Angelus to the point where you could argue whether the scene with the pig's blood, which by the way, possibly one of the most just outwardly monstrous moments on the entire show is angel jerking this young woman up to uh, against the wall and squirting pig's blood into her mouth. Yeah. That smear. Yeah. That was just not only gross, but also just horrific anyways. To, so so the the fade from Angel to Angelus is so gradual that you could argue which version that was. I think the moment when he's squirting the blood is is the tipping point. Like I think I um so it wasn't just that she drugged him and Angel kind of, you know, dropped his head and then when he looked up he was Angelus. He she faded into Angelus. And then so Angelus got to be there for a little while and then he also faded out. But um, yeah, and, and it's, it's weird because I think this is one of those episodes that actually improves as you watch it, because I think as as we all watched it the first time, we all thought he was faking Angelus to prove the point. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that would have been a wonderful little story point like him to be like hey, I'm going to show you what it's like to be a vampire and you're going to be cleansed because of that. But the fact that they then turn it into, he's really experiencing a little bit of, Angel is experiencing a little bit of Angelus works even better. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I I agree. I don't know if this is the point you're making, but I actually, (laughs) I hadn't thought of it this way before, but I really love this episode and that moment because I've always, I think a lot of us have, but I, I have always struggled with this whole weird dichotomy, the split personality that angel gets to get away with. Um, like spike gets to be William, the bloody awful poet and, you know, spike the monster. Like, He's just one yeah. unified person and he struggles with who he is and how he's going to behave, but it's not, he doesn't identify as two different people. Like no other vampire that we know of does that. It's only angel is the good side. And if yeah. you knock angel out, he wakes up as Angelus, who is seemingly a totally different person. And even the writers have said, and Joss has said like, you know, behind the scenes that, um, and I, in fact, I think the show deals with this at a, some point later, the fact that Angelus is repressed, but always aware of what angel is doing. Like he, he is locked in a cage watching through angels eyes as angel goes through life, trying to be a good guy. Um, so, so they really play up the fact that angel is actually a separate angel and Angelus are separate entities. I, I, really struggle with that and don't (laughs) like, unless the show wanted to offer us an explanation for how, why specifically that is, which I don't think it ever does. Um, I just don't get why angel gets that 
that particular get out of jail free card or whatever and no other vampires do um and so this example of where there is kind of a bleeding between the two um feels much more i don't know natural and organic to me yeah no you're absolutely right um you know it's 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 part and parcel i think to um i'm trying to think what i'm trying to say a wonderful beat of the show playing melodrama mm-hmm. you know and melodrama is you know is, is a bit like high adventure it's a it's a tightrope to walk you know and i think they 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 address it at the end of the episode you know angel is tied up in chains and I think it's Wesley that says something like you walk a fine line mm-hmm. between bubble, something I don't, I don't envy you. Right. And then, you know, Cordelia says, I'm not going to let something so petty get in the way of our friendship. Um, there is this moment where our, our leads at this point, let's say angel, Wesley, Cordelia address this. Mm-hmm. I, you angel are walking this tightrope. I don't quite understand what it is, and da da da. And then it's it's a little bit played for comedy, because that she doesn't she, untie him. Yeah, she walks out, and he's still tied up. But we, the audience, go, oh, he's, you know, two different people underneath. His best friends in our show at this moment, Wesley and Cordelia, understand that, and there's enough of a relationship between them that they are able to rib and leave them, you know? So again, it's a little bit of TV writing distillery of, I have to funnel all of this in to it. Um, But you're absolutely right. And you bring up a good point. Like at what point do you dive into the tightrope walking of Angelus versus angel and what it means for the show. And I think they, I think they at least, and I think this is very important, I think they at least address the moment. Mm-hmm. They say, this is happening, this is what we're dealing with, and yeah, this is a little bit TV. They address it for drama and comedy. Yeah. And that's the melodrama of the show. Yeah, which I I, I actually loved the ending. Um I couldn't have said it as well as you just did, but basically because we got to have, I got my angsty Wesley, um, who is clearly hurt by the things that Angelus said to him. Absolutely. Um, And he's looking a little crestfallen and he's even got, I think maybe for the first time since uh, on angel, we see just a hint of the, the five o'clock shadow Wesley. I mean, nowhere near where he's eventually going to be, but this, I think this might be the first time that we see him just a little unkempt or whatever. Um, But yeah, he's clearly hurt and, and, and saddened or whatever by the way his friend just treated him, but he has a very mature response to it. Uh, And um, Angel thankfully does give him a little, uh, reaffirmation there at the end which obviously picks wesley up just a little bit as he's walking out but anyway so we got that we got the continuation of the drama of it um and then we also got that beat of comedy at the end which i felt was very appropriate 
I mean, I, I, I love the way it all played out. I also like the fact that as much as I liked the character of Rebecca Lowell and the actress Tamara Gorski, I'm glad that, uh, and, and maybe this is part of the shift as the show is discovering that, oh yeah, it's actually our main stars that are the stars. <laughs> it's not the, the monsters of the week or the characters of the week. Um, I'm glad that the denouement of the episode was about Angel and Wesley and Cordy. And not yeah. about Rebecca Lowell. I'm glad. I mean, you may question, well, what happened then? Like, what? how did they keep her from going to the police? Or whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, what's important is what has happened to our heroes. Um, so I loved the character of, of Rebecca, but I'm glad that the end of the show wasn't about her. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think they do that really well. I think they do it really well with her knowing that it's the agent behind it all. I think she is sort of scared out of it. I think you can kind of get away with, to your point, like, oh, I hope I hope that's just kind of is what it is. I think they address it. I think they give it its due that, and again, this is TV writing. And, and I'm, look, I work in TV. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not defending TV writing in a, in a, in a blank bullet sort of way. Um, there, there is a, a, a world and a tone that you that you live in that you say, look, if I've addressed X, Y, Z, that that is the rule of that show. And I think Angel does that really well. I think I think Angel does that really well in the sense of of in this moment, Angel doesn't know who who she is. Right. But then he's offended that he's not mentioned in the I know. article. I know. Like, I like funny. that. <laughs> like, and that's funny. Yep. That's not bad writing. That's not like, well, why would he be offended by this if he doesn't know who she is? That's funny. You no, know? I mean, I mean, anybody who's who's a fan of the Buffy slash Angel verse, I mean, yes. they 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 have to be familiar with that kind of storytelling. Oh, totally. Um, that's a that's a that's a feature, not a bug of no, Buffy I, and Angel. I, I, absolutely, and I and I think we need to lean into that, and we need to to embrace that. Um, it's the same. It's the same thing. I think. Um, um, I forget. It, it's in one of these two episodes, but if Cordelia and Wesley are are using the internet to work on things, but but at the same in, in the same scene, Wesley is using the phone book. He's it's like, it's like, oh, okay. That's just, that happened. Yeah. I mean, yeah, th this angel, particularly like Buffy, there were a lot of jokes about Buffy and I don't remember really how far it ever transitioned into. I know in season seven, they finally acknowledged that cell phones existed. Um, but angel has been really good about showing the, the mix of the two. I mean, it kind of even goes back the whole thing between Wesley and Cordy that you're talking about where she's on the demons, demons, demons database or whatever. Uh, and he's like, uh, they, do they have the vigories of Odin tall listed? Oh, guess there's a, still a place for good old fashioned research as he holds yes. up a book. Um, I mean, that goes all the way back to season one, Buffy actually with, uh, Jenny calendar. Yeah. Yes. Or was that yeah. season one? Was Jenny in season one? I can't remember now. Oh, a Buffy? Yeah. No, I, I season two. Well, I think she comes in season, season okay, two. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, it goes all the way. But, but yes. Yeah, you know, and there and there's that great um, 
callback even from Angel into Buffy where where I think Cordelia says, first I say yuck and then I say... And then I hit send, yeah. Something, you know, and I'm like, look, I... I, I always respect an, a, 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 a show that leans into its own world. Right. Like you can't like you can evolve Cordy from who she was in Buffy to who she becomes an angel. And she's, and she's doing it here. You can see it, but like she would remember a line like that. And anytime they give us that, I'm, I'm like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. You know, Anytime they lean into Wesley being Buffy Wesley, and I look, I love Angel Wesley. <laughs> That's how I differentiate them. And and you know what I mean? Like people that have seen the, the, the both series know what I mean. There's Angel Wesley and there's Buffy Wesley. Right. But anytime that they play between them, it's great. You know, you can say say the same thing with Stewie on Family Guy. <laughs> occasionally he's Hugh Hefner, and occasionally he's gay. Like yeah. don't 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 unlean into either one. It's a TV show, right? Like, like and, and if it works, embrace it, and the fans will appreciate that you're respecting the world and embracing the rules of that world and leaning into them. So Wesley can be a buffoon, and he can be the guy that twists the nail in the hand. Yeah. And I go, thank you. I mean. There, over the course of the next four and a half seasons of Angel, I on this podcast I will very likely make a case that uh, Alexis Denisoff slash Wesley Wyndham Price does that better than any other character. Absolutely, pe- pe- people can argue or debate that with me, but that's just where I am. But anyways, and, it, and, it, and it's done so well. Yeah. And sorry, I know we're getting way ahead of it, but it's done so well. It's done so subtly. Mm-hmm. You only kind of realize it looking back on it because there's a part of you that goes, oh, I remember Wesley. And then I know Wesley. And you go, it's 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 a little bit like the Mandela effect. <laughs> we, go, <laughs> we go, oh, there's Wesley, but I've known him all along. But at what point did he go from from sort of Giles to the nth degree to, <laughs> to like Bra- Charles Bronson. Right. I, and, and I believe them both. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I've said many times and when we'll say again that um, for a, for a front to back arc, like a character development arc, Wesley's my favorite, just cause I, I feel yeah. like it's so, it's so stark the difference between where that character starts and where that character ends. And the, and the transition is so gradual and so believable. Like even, even in later seasons of angel, when Wesley is doing things that at the moment you might be like, what the hell, Wesley, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? If you, if you take a step back and look at it, I mean, it's, I at least believe that it's uh, completely understandable how the character becomes what he eventually becomes. Anyways, getting yeah. getting way ahead of ourselves with that. Um, any other thoughts on this? I am completely unfamiliar with uh, A Doll's House, which is the play, the Henrik Ibsen play that uh, Cordelia was in. I've 
that feels like the kind of thing that I should have researched to say, oh, they chose that play because it actually says this. But I I know nothing about that play. Well, no, it it completely sets up the show Doll's House, obviously. No, I'm trying. Yeah, of course. It's a reference to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. It's it's I think I think it's just a great, you know, reference. Yeah. All right. Well, so is there anything else about either episode that we haven't covered? Well, I, I think I think we did well. You know, it's I, I always I always feel a little bit proud and ashamed that we simultaneously just kind of champion uh, all, all of these episodes because I I think we find something in all of them that we love or re-love. It you know, but I really appreciate that about your show um every week which is oh well thank you for that every week (laughs) yeah no i mean mean, it's just every 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 episode sure yeah every time you you have these fans that are coming to it from a fresh perspective and or remembering it from 20 years ago and you, you spark these wonderful conversations about what it was and what it is and what we think it is and and sorry if this sounds cheesy but thank you for that well i i i hate receiving praise so damn you for that but but thank you for your kind words um i just realized you just reminded me of something i totally forgot to mention uh, by you saying that um on this show i try to talk about what the show was is and how maybe we'll think about it in the future uh, there was a line in this episode in in Eternity that at the time when it aired uh, seemed perfectly innocent, and now perhaps in the Me Too era or whatever in in today's environment it sounds a little bit differently. And that's when um, after Rebecca has escaped from Angelus and uh, Cordy and Wesley are like, what did you do or whatever? And, and she's like, I didn't do anything. And Wesley says, with respect, Ms. Lowell, you must have done something. Now, in the context of the episode, in the context of these characters, the history of the, the Buffy Angel Whedonverse, that line makes total sense. Of course, yeah. we know what Wesley is saying there, and he's right. Um, but, you know, in maybe a larger socio-political yeah. reading you might be like hang on now <laughs> just because she was attacked doesn't mean she did something to bring it on so i don't know if you if you might not even have i mean that line just may have played and you went with it but as no. i as i was tracking dialogue i was like oh man that's rough to write like i'm writing this down i'm like ooh, that doesn't look right <laughs> no it, it, you're absolutely right um um there 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 are there are lines and moments that we look back on and look, um, you know, either cringe at or question or learn from. Right. And, you know, it happens in Friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens in, in Frasier. It happens in a, 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 any show that you look back Seinfeld. I, I don't know. You know, hit shows. That- <laughs> I just want to point out, you're hitting all the biggest... You're naming all the biggest hits that I didn't watch. I never uh, watched Friends. I never watched Frasier. I never watched uh, Seinfeld. I'm 
okay, but okay. But fair. I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're but, saying. But fair. There, there are big hit shows, and and I and I, I only mention them because they did not do anything in their time that was offensive. But yeah. we respectfully look back on moments, and we say, here are critically, commercially successful, well embraced. You know, uh, popular entertainment that we, we we embraced fine finally then, and we look back on and say, well, did that do, does that hold up as well now as it as it could have, and maybe it doesn't. And I I I I think it's only okay in that, and I've had this conversation with a bunch of different people. There there is a big question of intent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look back on Mel Brooks and I and I, I don't find some things offensive because of intent. Right. It was not intended to be offensive offensive. Is it now? I I am I'm, I'm too little of a man to <laughs> to I, I cannot say. It. Right. I I, 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 I respect everyone enough to say I don't I, I'm not enough of a man to say I, but I do I, I never think that Mel Brooks intended to offend somebody and, <laughs> right, and I right. say the same thing about Friends and Seinfeld and whatever you know I, I look back at certain certain poems songs like whatever it oh, is yeah. Yeah, and I go yeah. did, were, were you intending to be offensive were you intending to be and i go no okay right no and this uh, i i i should have just forgotten to mention this because it is pretty innocuous i mean especially in the episode that it comes in because i don't think necessarily there's anything else in the episode that would that would raise red flags about like the message of a woman's place in the world like i don't know i i just I, as I was writing down that line of dialogue, I was like, man, this plays a little differently today than it did back then. And if someone was writing this show today, they might not use that line, but. Absolutely. And I, and I think, I think we should be looking at it that way. Yeah. We should be looking at it as, as does this, does this work? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Does this work then? Does this work in 20 years? Is, does this work? Is is this the best way to to look at this? And is this the best way to to progress uh, any sensibility? I mean, I'm just a mo- mostly straight white guy. I don't. I, I, I don't I, have the answers I, to these questions. Yeah, I agree. Which is why I, I try to not get into this because yeah who am i to talk about it except to support it and say we should we should constructively we should constructively criticize what came before and learn in order to progress amen amen Sorry. Okay. On that note, uh, I, I, I drug us out of a fine transition to the end to go back into the episode. So let's transition to the end again. Michael, thank you so much. Um, as always for joining me, I, I 
I don't remember what the next episode I've got you down for, but obviously you're coming back. I would love to. And um, a little cross promotion here just to let people know that Michael, I have in the past, I've commented how I really need to get you on Cowboy Geek. Well, we've had him on Cowboy Geek now more than once. Uh, he's a, he's a recurring guest for us now. And uh, he is part of the Gobbly Geek MCU on TV triumvirate. I don't know what we're officially called, but uh, I, don't know. I, I I love the at one point I think you were texting with me and Arlo and you said something like we're now the Loki variants or the we're the yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. So we we've uh, on Gobbly Geek we're covering all of the the MCU series on Disney Plus, and uh, so we've our Michael's already joined us to discuss WandaVision, uh, the glorious WandaVision. He's joined us to talk about um, the perhaps less appreciated, but I still adored uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. It's so good. It's so good. And uh, he will soon. So Loki on Disney Plus is just wrapped. Um, I will say no more about that because Michael has not yet watched the final episode. Yes. But once he has, we will be uh, scheduling another gobbledygeek discussion about that and then i think in the future i think the next one is hawkeye i think that might or no uh, what if what if yeah. well what if sure and then if for, for live action i think it's it's uh it is hawkeye yeah um but man man do i look well look man do i love richard e grant and, uh, yeah and that, and that gd alligator <laughs> <laughs> yes Oh man, I cannot wait to talk about them. Richard E. Grant, he needs to do. God, he's so good. He's great. He's great. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, so I. Uh, please check those out. Um, I mean, please just listen to all my shows, but especially listen to all the shows that Michael is on, and he he's been a great guest for us on those. You're right, guys. Um. So, Michael, uh, again, I will include a link in the show notes to this, but if you want to let the listeners know how they can find you. Um, no, yeah, I'm, um, I, you can always find me through Paul, which is wonderful. Thank you as always. As, and I have, uh, on Instagram, you can find me at, it's, uh, at Holland underscore Imaginarium, where I tend to wax lyrical about classic Hollywood, as well as whatever I'm working on. And your website. Oh uh, yeah, there's Blogspot or Blogspot, yeah. Marium. So, so yeah, I tend to blog there, um, um, which is which is not as not as as frequent as I would love it to be, but I, I do do it. Um, Instagram, you can find me because I try to be more frequent there, but you know, life gets in the way. Like <laughs> you know, Lord Lord and Miller, I can't. Uh... I mean, that's a good problem to have. Yes, that's it a is. very good problem to have. I am a super old fuddy-duddy, and I resist Instagram like the plague. I have, I have just finally, after how long of you pointing out Instagram and saying, you should really follow me on Instagram, <laughs> you finally guilted me into it the other day. You finally said, man, you should really, because I, I dared to ask you a question that I would know the answer to if I were following you on Instagram. <laughs> and so I have finally followed you on Instagram. Um, I, I may, I, I, I'm barely ever on there. So I may still not know the answer to questions, <laughs> but I am following you now. So you're right. You, you, you can uh, clap back at me whenever I say something stupid or ask you something naive. And you're like, you know, 
it's all over Instagram. Yeah. Well, no, and and uh, I think you and I chatted about it, and I I saw you and Arlo starting to watch some classic Hollywood. So I think yes. that might be that might be in our uh, gobble to geek future. It it is somehow. There's this weird thing that happens when Arlo and I are scheduling these. Like right now, you're referencing our next geek challenge, which will include. Um, Arlo has challenged me to watch uh, Sunset Boulevard, which I had never seen. And I challenged him to watch my favorite year, which he had not seen. And uh, as soon as I made the first like social media comment about, Oh, I'm watching Sunset Boulevard. I was like, Oh fuck. Why didn't we get Michael involved in this? (laughs) That happens all the time. Anytime we reference anything, classic Hollywood or the golden age of Hollywood, I'm like, after the fact, I'm like, why didn't we get Michael there? So yes, we are making a concerted effort. We we there are plans in the works to do a specific thing with you about classic Hollywood. I would love it. So, anyways, was, wow, you think I'm a geek about Buffy and Angel? <laughs> get, get me get me into pre 1960 Hollywood. Yeah, we're gonna do it. We're going to do it. We'll do something with it. We'll make it work. And you can school me and yeah. Arlo, especially Arlo, who thinks he is a connoisseur of classic Hollywood. Wow. I'm sure that you can take him to task. But the, the connoisseur versus the aficionado will, there, there will happen. Go. Okay, excellent. <laughs> so, Michael, thank you again uh, thank you, sir. for being here. And thank you all at home for listening. Uh, you can find links to this and all of the past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on... I don't think I've ever gotten around to putting us on Spotify, but we're on virtually every other uh, podcast streaming service. Um, I keep promising to be on Spotify. It'll happen. Um, someone just needs to hold me at gunpoint, I guess. Anyways, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you just uh, have things to say, if you just want to join the conversation... Just drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at conswithdead. We're also on Facebook at conversations with dead people. So next time around, I will in air quotes say next week, but next time around, my friend and frequent collaborator, Broken Magic author Eric Sippel joins me to talk about what for me might be the reason I did this podcast in the first place. Uh, one of the high watermarks of the entire Angel Buffy Angelverse for me. Episodes 118, 5x5, and 119, Sanctuary. Until then, remember, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire I fell into a burning ring of fire I went down, down, down And the flames went higher And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire, the ring of 